Hey, Poppy, how's it going? <laughs> she says hi. No, Poppy's sitting right here listening. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy. More diddly squat than Bo Diddly Yunnan. Remember this Nike commercial from 1989 featuring Bo Jackson? Yes, that's Wayne Gretzky who says no, Bo doesn't know hockey. Bo knows baseball. Bo knows football. Bo knows basketball too. What an amazing classic. Welcome acclaimed sports writer Jeff Perlman, who is here to talk about his latest sports biography, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. The Last Folk Hero is a deep dive into the extraordinary life and legendary status of one of the most iconic athletes of our time, Bo Jackson. Jeff knows Bo now. Well, sorta. Our conversation is anchored by myths and mystery and mystique, how sports mythologies are crafted, and the stories we choose to share about the athletes who thrill us with their style of play. I dig the title of Jeff's book is The Last Folk Hero. That's such a fitting description for Bo Jackson who played two sports. Bo played Major League Baseball from 1986 to 1994 and in the NFL from 1987 to 1990 before a freak injury forced him to retire from football. What made Bo special is we'd never seen anybody like that before. Bo was truly unique with that size and speed and ability. Although when I say we've never seen anybody like Bo before, that's a little bit of a white lie. He effectively retired in 1994, pre-internet, pre-cell phone cameras, and especially in college, it meant many of his tall tales were oral stories. We have no footage of them. That's like seeing Superman in action and then trying to describe it to your friends later on. How do you do that? You, of course, know sports writer Jeff Perlman. Winning Time on HBO Max is adapted from his book Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s. You know, at the end of this interview, I urged him to write a Larry Bird book. It's time. Larry is a beast. For now, though, let's explore the extraordinary Bo Jackson. Bo knows you'll enjoy this episode of My Summer Lair. Sound. The Final Frontier. My Summer Lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. 
And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. If you want, we can kind of just dive in and get going and uh, talk about the myth and the mythology of Bo Jackson. Does that sound good? Okay. Great. This might sound strange, but you interviewed 720 people for The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Uh, your writing is almost like a police procedural. Like, Bo Jackson's this unsolved mystery. Uh, and you got to talk to witnesses, you got to confirm accounts, you got to sort facts from fictions. In working on this Bo Jackson book, was there any ever, like, concern that you would, like, uh, like solve the mystery of Bo Jackson, quote-unquote, solve the mystery of Bo Jackson? <laughs> no. I do think that's a good analogy, though. I do think, I always say to my wife, I mean, I know there's a lot more to being a detective than just interviewing people, but I feel like journalists are kind of trained in detective work to a certain degree, at least the doggedness of never giving up and more and more seeking information and that kind of curiosity. Um, there was not, there's no mystery to solve per se. Like it was more like breaking down what made him this sort of amazing athlete and this pop cultural phenomenon. And that was kind of my goal is just to figure it out as best I could. But I wouldn't say it was a mystery. It was, it was more like a science fiction. Uh, it's more like he's sci- he's he's Superman or Zeus. And it's like, uh, how did Superman come to be? What planet is he actually from? Where was Bo Jackson? Mm-hmm. Is he is he from Krypton? Is he from Krypton? Or where is he from? And the way that you write about him, too, in the book and the stories that people tell, it does make it seem like he's Superman. I mean, he ran a 41340. He went two Alabama decathlons and back-to-back years. He set five state track and field records. He, uh, he stole 90 out of 91 bases in high school. He, you know, first time he threw the discus, he threw like a softball. Second time he threw it farther than anyone in the state. Uh, one teacher in high school recalled the track and field team practicing running indoors and hearing this noise, bump, 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 bump. And he looks out his broom and Bo Jackson is jumping over hurdles and the top of his head is hitting the top of the ceiling and the tiles are moving. So <laughs> there is a definitely a, a Kal-El and Jor-El element to Bo Jackson. Nice reference. But I've heard you heard you compare uh, Bo Jackson to JFK in a couple of other interviews as well. Just kind of like that legend mythic status, like in terms of a real person. I know Superman is real to some people, but to like... Going back to real life for a second, though, like, can you kind of like unpack that analogy of like Bo Jackson and why you compared him to JFK? Well, I kind of use JFK, Tupac, Marilyn Monroe, pick your celebrity who dies young. Only in that when there's something about a mystique of someone dying young and in their prime and it adds to their legacy. It's obviously horribly tragedy. And I'd rather have someone mm-hmm. grow old and not have that legacy. But there is a mystique to it. And um, Bo Jackson is, is alive and well. But there's a mystique to him. Uh, he vanished. You know, he basically his career ended at 31 years old, and poof, he was gone. And I just think I always say, like nobody want nobody would be paying me to write the Marcus Allen biography <laughs> or the Gary Sheffield biography, and they were great players, comparable to Bo. But Bo vanished, and that mystique just adds to it all. In the same way, someone dying young adds to it. Yeah, and so let's let's expand on this mystique. Um, cause he had a very traumatic, uh, deep South upbringing. I didn't know any of that until I read your book, but like, uh, how did he get the name Bo? Like, how did Vincent Edward Jackson end up with the name Bo? Well, so Vincent Edward is for the actor Vince Edwards from uh, Ben Casey. And when Bo was a kid, there was a farmer who lived down the street and the farmer had a bunch of hogs and pigs and whatever. And one day Bo and a bunch of his friends, I think he was 12 
went with uh, sticks, wood sticks, and devoted themselves to beating the crap out of the biggest boar hog they could find. For three days, this beat the living crap out of this boar hog, and they end up getting in trouble for it. And um, boar hog in the South is kind of pronounced quickly bohog. So Bo was called Bohog for a while because of that. And then they shortened it to just Bo. And this mystique as well that you're talking about, does it, does the fascination with Bo Jackson also, is it framed because he also didn't win? He didn't win a Super Bowl or win a World Series, right? Like you've written in the past about the Showtime Lakers and Kobe and Shaq Lakers. Those are both dominant teams that won quite a bit. And this is kind of an interesting sports story because Bo Jackson is quote unquote not a winner. I mean, I wouldn't say he's not a winner. Like he wasn't on very good teams. I can't play Mo for that. But I, um, no, I don't think that adds to the mystique. I actually think if he had somehow led the Los Angeles Raiders to a Super Bowl championship, (laughs) it'd even be more mythological because he Mm -hmm. did something else that, you know, no one thought could happen or no one presumed would happen. Um, He just wasn't on great teams. Like he came along in Kansas City a year or two, actually a year too late. With the Raiders, they never had a real quarterback. It was always either Rusty Hilger or Mark Wilson or uh, Steve Berline, like okay players, but nothing great. So, and also he was only playing part of the season with the Raiders. So it would have been very hard for him to lift a team to the Super Bowl. And the Royals were an old, they were an aging group where like George Brad, Frank Wright, Willie Wilson, the foundation were all in their late 30s. So he came along a little late. There was only so much he could do. But in terms of so much what he can do, I was frustrated reading your book because there's some echoes of Allen Iverson in Bo Jackson's story once he got to the majors and professionals because it didn't seem like he kind of was dedicated in practice. That same kind of killer mentality that Jordan, Kobe, and like Curry have. It, that's why I was thinking of the Allen Iverson, like, uh, you know, the famous rent. Like, we're talking about practice, not a game. We're talking about practice. And Bo Jackson, like, was incredibly gifted. You listed a number of the stats, but it didn't seem like he was dedicated to, like, mastering the craft. So I would actually say Iverson and Bo were very different because I wrote a, I wrote a decent amount about Iverson when I was in Sports Illustrated. He was with the Sixers. And Iverson desperately wanted to win. Like, mm-hmm. Iverson was all about it. And he didn't love... I mean, he actually practiced fairly hard. He just, you know, that day, he was like, practice, practice. But it wasn't like he was soft. He was hard, and he would kill you to win. Mm-hmm. And Bo Jackson wanted to win, but he also wanted to get home and be with his kids. Like, he just wasn't a kill or be killed athlete. He wasn't someone who was going to be home watching tapes of other games. He wasn't going to be studying the playbook. He was a nine to five athlete. He was kind of a nine to five athlete, but there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a nine to five journalist, you know, like, (laughs) no, I know you're probably a nine to five podcaster and they're nine to five dentists. And most of us are nine to five. It's weird that we have these expectations on athletes. Like he was really, really great. He was a fantastic player. He, he was a talent, but the talent materialized. The injury was a fluke injury. So I can't fault him for like wanting to spend time with his kids. Like it's kind of a credit. Mm-hmm. And in reading a lot of your work too, there's a nostalgia that runs through your work. And Bo Jackson is the epitome of that. Like it's uh he's almost like a relic of that kind of eighties and nineties. Like one of those things you think about from that certain era, just kind of like the magic showtime Lakers. What it is, what is it about nostalgia or like, uh, I guess, yeah. And what is it about nostalgia and pop culture and sports that kind of, uh, appeals to you or you find even comforting because it is a lot it, there is a quite a bit in your work I think it is um, there's something music food and sports all provide this where you can be in someone's kitchen and they're making 
spaghetti sauce. And it reminds you of being in your grandma's kitchen when you were seven, right? There's something about a smell that can do that. Mm -hmm. Or you're driving down the street and you hear Bonita Applebaum by a tribe called Quest. And you're reminded of hearing that song for the first time. You're with your buddies. Maybe you're at a roller skating rink. Who knows? You remember that. And sports for me is that too. Like thinking about Bo Jackson makes me feel, gives me flashes of being 15, 16 again in my bedroom, looking up at my posters throwing a football in the air on my bed and catching it, pretending I'm whoever. Like, it's that. I love that. Like, I kind of love that. It's almost like a drug where things can take you back and give you flashes of feelings of really good moments in your life. Yeah, and like, w one of the parallels I noticed about you and uh, Bo as well is like, you wrote on your blog, I never aspired to be famous because fame seems to truly suck. And Bo kind of mirrors that a little bit because you wrote in one of the one of the lines in the book is Bo liked the acclaim, not the attention, and that was reference to like the sports journalists. Like, yeah, does that kind of like, um, like did that kind of the way that Bo had like kind of like a a rough edge, I guess, for like fame and for the way that he was treated, kind of like did that at all like impact how you viewed your work as a sports journalist? No. I just think, um, I just think fame is ridiculous, you know, and like the idea of fame is ridiculous and it's, it's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm not famous, but it, you know, when someone says, oh, I read one of your books or, oh, Hey, or I like, recognize, you know, mm -hmm. I probably get recognized two times a year anywhere, but like, Those it's a little bit times. of ego, but say that again. Those are good two times though, aren't they? I know, but it's kind of ridiculous at the same time. Like mm -hmm. who cares if someone recognizes you and, um, I think Bo Jackson like didn't really want it. Like he wanted to, he was a private person. He wanted to go hunt and he wanted to fish and he wanted to hang out with his kids and he wanted to be with his wife and he wanted to watch a movie and take a nap. And like, he didn't, he didn't live for people recognizing him in restaurants. It did not do it for him. Like for some people, I know this is a long answer, but I, I remember I used to live across the street when I lived in New Rochelle, New York from an actor. And he told me one time, um, uh, Martin Sheen, live with him. He was friends with Martin Sheen and Martin Sheen lived with him while he was recovering from like a broken leg. And one night they were all going out to dinner. Martin Sheen said, uh, make sure it's a place that's quiet so I won't get recognized. And they found a place and he said, Martin Sheen spent the entire evening looking to see if people recognized him. Mm -hmm. Like fame is a trippy thing, you know, and Bo just never bought into it, which is a cool way to be. But it's interesting because like what runs through your whole book though is like people have all these like crazy stories and I Bo did this or like I saw Bo do that. Like it's a weird thing because it's like he's almost famous for like these kind of stories that people are dying to tell and share. Like you had the, I know you've said this in other interviews as well, but there was the uh, University of Georgia hit baseball night, uh, night game where he hit the lights. Do you want to yep. kind of tell that story? Because that's like one of those crazy stories. Yeah, it was his junior year, and it was the first night game at Georgia ever at Foley Field. And, um, you know, Bo at the time in Georgia was sort of like the anti-Herschel because it was you're either Team Herschel or Team Bo. Well, he was Bo. So they come to Georgia, and Bo's playing right field, and he's getting booed mercilessly. First that bat, he flies out. The fans are riding him hard. Second that bat, he hits a home run that nails the lights. And this is 39 days before the movie, The Natural, where Roy Hobbs hit the lights. <laughs> he comes back out and the fans give him a standing ovation and start bowing toward him. His next two at-bats, he homers and he homers. And then his last at-bat, he doubles and they boo him. Like, he's ridiculous. He was a man of moments. He really was. If you think about Bo Jackson, 
It's very much about the moments. It's not about like, remember that game against blank. It's remember him running 91 yards on Monday night football. Remember him running over the bars. Remember him throwing out Harold Reynolds. Remember him running up the law. Mm -hmm. Like he's a man of signature moments in sports history, as opposed to games. It's weird, but interesting. Yeah. But I also like, it's the era too, right? Like, Uh, he effectively played until the Major League Baseball until 94. And yeah, obviously, mm -hmm. like the NFL and the Major League Baseball, there are like records of that. But like that scene of him hitting the lights, like there is no footage of it. So those there are a lot of moments that are just kind of like these oral stories too. Like he has this oral history that kind of comes with him because of the era that he grew up in where there was no internet, there was no YouTube, there was nothing. I think it's a lot better this way. Like I actually like... You know, like there's a story in the book about him hitting a ball so high to left field in high school that he's rounding third base by the time it comes down, right? Crazy, yeah. And I had, and I had tons of people confirm that story, confirm that story, confirm that story. But maybe if we had our cell phones at the time, maybe the ball, I don't know, maybe there's a storm and it gets caught up in the wind and it's not quite as amazing. Or maybe the ball, maybe the left fielder just screwed it up. Maybe he screwed it up and the ball hit off his foot and rolled. Like, I like that we don't have video of these stories. You know, I like... People say, did Bo run a 4-1-3 at Auburn? He did run a 4-1-3 at Auburn. How do you know? Because I had a lot of people there to witness it. Do you have any video? I don't have any video. The Georgia night game. If that game were played today, Bo Jackson would come up. They'd say, now batting Vincent Jackson. And come up and everyone would take out their phones and they'd be videotaping the very event they should be watching. And we'd see it. And maybe hitting the lights doesn't look as cool on a video camera. There's something about retelling a story. It's like, did Babe Ruth really have a pointed shot in, in the World Series? Probably not. <laughs> Did Earl Marigot really grab a quarter off the top of the backboard? Probably not, but maybe they did. And that's what makes it cool, the maybe of it all. Yeah, so can we expand on that? Because, like, this is your 10th book now. And, like, what have you learned about, like, how these sports mythologies are crafted and created? And, like, you know what I mean? Like, how do we, like, keep people like Babe Ruth and, like, uh, Mickey Mantle and now Bo Jackson? Like, how do we keep them alive Like, cause there's always with sports, there's always players that are like overrated, underrated, underappreciated. Like, what have you learned like 10 books later about how we craft these sports mythologies? I mean, I definitely think people have vanished with age. Like the interest in Babe Ruth isn't now what it would have been even 50 years ago, you know, or 40 years ago. Nostalgia moves with time. Like people will say to me sometimes, you should do a book about Bob Gibson and the 67 Cardinals. And I'm like, nobody gives a shit about the 67 Cardinals anymore. <laughs> Sucky as that is, people don't care. And the thing I try to do with my books, honestly, like my number one motivation for writing this is I think people deserve to remember Bo Jackson. Like he is a worthwhile person to remember. His legacy is worth remembering. And the reality is that we don't tell these stories over and over again. People forget about them. They do. My kids, before I wrote this book, didn't know who Bo Jackson was. Most kids their age probably don't know who Bo Jackson is. So while I'm a big proponent of mythology, And the retelling of stories and the retelling of stories. If a book or a movie or something doesn't come along, um, it fades fairly quickly, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I hate that, but it's a reality. So I think it's important. My friend Howard Bryant wrote a book recently about Ricky Henderson. Mm -hmm. And um, I think equally important, like most people, my kids age, my kids are teenagers, have no idea who Ricky Henderson, have no idea who Ricky Henderson is. Mm -hmm. That's a tra that's tragic to me in sports history. So, you know, I'm big into nostalgia. I'm big into preserving legacies, but it gets harder as time passes. Yeah, I mean, we saw some some of that too in some in terms of the generational reaction to the Last Dance a couple of years ago during the pandemic, right? Where yeah. a lot of people didn't like 
obviously knew who Michael Jordan was, but some of the Scottie Pippen stuff, some of the Phil Jackson stuff, some of that stuff was like kind of new to people, right? And so they were reacting to it almost in real time, the way that like you and I did when all that was unfolding. There's also a lot of recency bias that I understand, but I find annoying, which is no, LeBron was so much better than Jordan. There's no way if they played one-on-one, LeBron would kill Jordan, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, you say Bo Jackson's the greatest athlete. Well, you never saw John Morant do so-and-so. And mm-hmm. you're like, all right. Like, that's a big thing that I think sports history battles against is the recency bias. And you know that some kid in whatever, Bethesda, Maryland, can oh, pop out his phone and watch every John Morant clip two seconds after it happened. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to match the dazzle of that. And this, you know, like with grainy footage from the 70s and 80s, it's hard to match it. Yeah, and there's also a lot more hype that comes with the kids. Like, we've been, like, foretold the coming of Zion Williamson for, like, I don't know how many years now, even before he was on Duke, right? And I know he's kind of had some injuries that have slowed him down uh, on the Pelicans. And it doesn't help that he's kind of in a small market kind of area and whatever, so it's harder to kind of watch Pelicans games and stuff. But, like, yeah, it's just been this great coming of Zion. is like, been advertised like a Marvel movie for almost, like, several years now. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, I can no beef with it, really. I just think that um, it's kind of cool how in the old days, I mean, I know I'm old, so this makes me feel old, but like you'd, you'd wait for Sports Illustrated to come in the mail and you'd open your mailbox on Wednesday. And there'd be, mm-hmm. and it'd be this five-page feature on this running back from Auburn named Bo Jackson, you know, or this quarterback from Boston College named Doug Flutie or the third baseman for the Cardinals. And that's how you really learn about these guys. And so the myth, and the legend of all built really slowly. It was a very slow burn um, because we, we weren't given instant access. Like a Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson comes along now in 2022. Um, even though we played for a tiny high school that wasn't that well known, all it takes is one kid to post a video of some insane run and retreat, 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 retweet, retweet, mm-hmm. TikTok likes, et cetera, et cetera. Bo Jackson is very well known very early. It's a change. It's just different. Not better or worse, it's different. Yeah, what you're talking about is, again, This I started the first question about being a police procedural, and this is, again, kind of mystery, right? Because a lot of, like, now athletes like LeBron, for example, are very prominent on social media, on Twitter, and that kind of stuff. So there's, yep. there's a lot more, like, instant access that you have to them, so that kind of reveals a lot more than like you said where like you were kind of in the dark like you kind of heard of Doug Flutie you didn't really know who he was and then you get the magazine you're like oh this dude sounds cool right yeah also not every game was you know I always say you could be living in Paris and if you really want you could go online and watch the Delaware Villanova football game yeah you know like when we were when I was growing up you would really have like athletes became singular icons like uh Herschel Walker became an icon. Bo Jackson became an icon. Flutie became an icon. And it was because they were the featured performers of the week mm-hmm. and everything was built around them. And and I'm not saying it's better. I mean, in a way, the more information is better. Now we have a shitload more information, but it's definitely different. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about like somebody like Muhammad Ali, for example, who was just like, he almost transcended like icon status, whatever is like above icon, right? Just right. like there was a time when people knew who the heavyweight champion of the world was and that something like that mattered. Like you said, things change and things shift. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that one, to be honest. Boxing is so brutal. I, uh, I'm i not sure I feel bad about people not really, not really knowing who the heavyweight champ anymore is. Because I see what that sport does to people, and I just think, eh, maybe we're better off without boxing. 
And, but you're okay with football in a sense? Because I know that's also nope. okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Believe me, mm-hmm. in the NFL, if they turned it to a flag football league tomorrow, I'd be celebrating it. The, the one thing about writing these books is you engage with a lot of athletes who are really damaged years mm-hmm. after. So no, I'm not. Not at all. Yeah. I think, uh, no, it horrifies me. Yeah, yeah. So I want to stay with that theme, though, of you writing these books because this might embarrass you a little bit, so I apologize. But, like, you do a really great job of, like, paying it forward. As I said, Bo Jackson is your 10th book. Uh, but, like, I've talked to, like, Chris Herring, and you you kind of give him some advice on starting his book, uh, Blood in the Garden, The Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks. Uh, yeah. Timothy Bella just put out a Charles Barkley book. I've started that one as well. Uh, so it's kind of interesting time just following on Bo Jackson with Charles Barkley. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to kind of acknowledge it because this, these books are not easy to do, right? I know like it kind of comes out and it looks like it feels like it's seamless, but like this was two, three years of work for you to do Bo Jackson. So to like help other journalists kind of like figure out this process, know what's involved. It's kind of a cool thing where you kind of like paying it forward. I mean, I just, I like seeing other people enjoy this career. I love this career and this career has been so good for me and my family my dog, you know, and, uh, what up, Poppy? I just know Poppy sitting right here listening. Um, I just, you know, when I was a young writer coming up, I was an asshole. I really was. I was, um, me, 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 self, 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 didn't want to be edited. Thought I was better than everyone. Thought I was the best writer on the planet, all that nonsense. And then you kind of get humbled and you become older and you realize that someone else's success doesn't take away from your success at all. Mm-hmm. And so like a guy like Chris Herring comes along and Chris is great and he's a genuinely nice guy and he's a legit journalist who wants to do good work. Why wouldn't you help him? Why wouldn't you help guide him? He's not trying to steal ideas from me. He's not his next book selling and being picked up by Spike Lee. Like that's awesome. That's great. That's great for all of us in the business. It shines a light on the business. So, um, I just, uh, yeah, I love, I, I appreciate you saying that. I just, I love journalism. Journalism has been great to me. And the, I, it makes me sad when I hear people say you shouldn't go into journalism or the whole fake news movement. It broke my heart. It actually broke my heart because 99% of journalists are just dogged and trying to do their jobs, trying to report. And to make us the enemy is lazy and bullshit. Yeah. Is it harder as well now as a sports journalist? Because like I said, a lot of athletes do have social media, so they feel that they can kind of bypass the journalism rule, right? They can kind of control the message. They can control the narrative, that kind of sort of thing. Is it harder, I guess, now or difficult? Or what's the word you would use? I would say you're correct, times a million. And I'm very happy. I covered baseball for Sports Illustrated from around 97-ish to 2002. And I don't think I'd want to do it now. Um, it's two things. It's social media, so they know. And I don't blame the athletes. It's just like, why do I need to talk to Sports Illustrated when I can put out exactly what I want and more people read my Instagram post or read this article anyway. And then number two, the power of agents. And this really dates goes to clutch. And again, I'm not mad about it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But like, it used to be, okay, I want to write about, I don't know, Shaq. Well, I'm going to go to a Lakers game. I'm going to approach him beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, hey, Shaq, is there any way you can give me 15 minutes? And he might say yes, or he might say no. But usually he'll say, I can't do it now, but catch me after the game. All right. And nowadays... The PR departments for the teams have very little power. It's all about the agents. You have to go through the agents. And the agents can be a nightmare uh, because they, they have very specific needs for their clients. They exist like team PR person is there for the team. But 
the agent is there specifically for the financial needs of the client. So it's a lot different approaching an agent and saying, can I get 15 minutes with your client? And the agent doesn't think this is going to be a positive story or isn't going to be quite the spin they want. The agent's going to say no and make your life miserable. It can be, it can really suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a bit of a tangent, but like I, I recently uh, listened to an interview with Jan Winner of Rolling Stone. He put out a biography as well. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was talking about the difference as well. And like in the old days, Rolling Stone would like go and like hang out with like a Bob Dylan or whatever it was, yep. like a band from the 60s, right? Jefferson Airplane or whatever. And so the reporter, of course, is like setting the scene and like what's going on and who the people around them and how they're interacting. And so you get a, like you said, when you're waiting for like a profile of Shaq or Doug Flutie from like Sports Illustrated, you get a better sense of who they are because you're immersed in that world. Right now, I think that the gap is with social media. It's like I'm giving you like just this like little bit of thing of who I am, but it's very like fabricated. The way that everybody on a sitcom is funny, but in real life, not everybody's funny. Yeah, I um when I wrote my my last book was about the the Shaq Kobe era Lakers and um, Three Ring Circus. Three Ring Circus. And I yeah. spent I went out to Montana and spent a day with Phil Jackson. Right, and uh, the, like eight hours, I drove around a lake with him and then we went for lunch and then we went back to his house and then he's like going to have dinner and i and it reminded me of the old days of being a sports writer like when i was at sports illustrated if si was coming to town and they want to profile you and you might say okay we want to take we want to would gerald williams want to go out for lunch or would sean green be available for bike and the answer was almost always yes and they like kind of enjoyed it like it was fun having a writer dig into them and try to understand them and uh there's just so much more reluctance now to do it. And the media landscape has changed so dramatically where, you know, like I used to write for BR magazine, which was Bleacher Report's long form division. Mm-hmm. And it was joyful and the stories they put out. And that's like, you know, like Mirren Fader was there and, and uh, she wrote the Howard Beck book recently. There. Yeah. Right. And there are a lot of great writers, really great writers there. And they would be like, all right, make your, you can write a 10,000 word profile. So it was awesome. And Bleacher Report came to the reality that we can make more money just putting up stupid videos and having people retweet them, mm-hmm. like basically, you know, like, and it's so depressing, but it's kind of what we're dealing with now. So in a way, books, and I'd say podcasts feel like this, these bastions of old school, long form, deep dive journalism that I personally need for my for myself. But you also, you just dropped the keyword there, which was joy, because like I've read other books and I really enjoyed like Three Ring Circus. We just mentioned that the Lakers book, but the this one, uh, Bo Jack on um, Bo Jackson, uh, there is clearly a lot of joy in this. Like you're having you as a writer, you can kind of feel that on the page as much as you're talking to people and they're telling you like this crazy Bo Jackson story about how he did this with the baseball or with the discus. Like they're telling crazy stories as well. But you as a writer, there's a lot of joy in it. Not that there wasn't any fun or anything like that in the other books, but this one is like clearly like, yeah, I think you, what you're talking about, which is getting back to the the Jeff Perlman of who you are, your essence, I guess, for lack of a better word. I mean, I can't totally agree with that. I mean, I I, I know what you're saying. Every mm-hmm. book, you find the joy in every book. You actually really do. And like, I love, like Three Ring Circus as an example. I flew to Orlando. I hung out with Shaq. I loved every minute of it. I loved going to Montana, being with Phil Jackson. Um, the thing about team books is it's hard to get out of the repetition of seasons because you're writing really about seasons. Yeah, you break off its characters, but seasons do get repetitive, even great seasons. The Lakers won back-to-back-to-back titles in that era. 
Well, it gets hard trying to differentiate the big game against Sacramento in 02 versus the big game in Sacramento in 03. When you're writing about someone like Bo Jackson, it's a life progression. You know, it's, you're going from po- in poverty, impoverished Alabama mm-hmm. to being a college student. And I like the different layers. And that makes it really fun. Like you're going from Auburn. Okay, I'm done with Auburn. I'm going to Memphis. He's in Memphis with the chicks. I'm going to write about that. That adds, I do enjoy biographies of people more than team books because I enjoy the journey of it all. So that was more fun. So last question then, since you already mentioned like biographies of uh, individuals rather than team books, you mentioned this on the Dan Patrick show uh, that you were exploring or kicking around the idea of a Larry Bird book. I know. I'm joking. I, someone mentioned it as an idea and I thought it wasn't a bad idea. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to write it. Um, I don't I don't know. It's not a bad idea. It's a good idea. I told a friend of mine, he definitely should write it. And he's like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Bird? Good idea. Yeah. I think it fits the category of what we've been talking about. Right. Where I think bird is obviously like a known quantity. I think there's enough like mass market and enough appeal there that it'll connect with an audience. And I think at the same time, he has kind of like fallen off the radar a little bit. Like he hasn't been fully appreciated. I know like we just had like winning time, which is thanks to you uh, in terms of like magic and the Lakers, um, especially since the current Lakers are not that good. And like Jordan had the last dance. And I think bird is the other like last part of the, the trifecta of like what kind of resurrected the NBA and kind of put it properly on the map. And so, and I think there's enough mystery there as well that like, yeah, it should be like documented and acknowledged. Maybe if not by you, then if certainly if one of your friends or somebody other journalist that you know. Yeah. Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe just wrote a really great book about that era of the Celtics that I highly recommend. I think, I forgot what it was called, but anyway, it was great. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I got to figure it out. I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. Maybe, maybe I'll do the long awaited, the long sought after Patrick Ewing book that nobody would read. Oh yeah, yeah. See, he's kind of an interesting one too. We're like, he's kind of annoying. Nobody would care. Yeah, but that's nobody's like, buying a Patrick Ewing book. Nobody's right. buying a Patrick Ewing book. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, even reading Chris Herring's book about the 1990s Knicks, like, I was excited because it's the 90s Knicks, right? And so you had all the other characters like Anthony Mason and Starks and stuff like that. But Ewing doesn't really like quote unquote shine as a character in it. You know, yep. what I mean, it's not Chris's fault. It's just who Patrick is. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's uh, it, he'd be a rough topic, but Chris made that book work, so mm-hmm. that guy's an artist, you know. Yeah, no, he did a great job. Well, yep. that's it. So the your book is called uh, Bo Jackson: The Last Folk Hero, uh, the Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. And uh, shout out to Joe Posnanski. Pons, I can never get the name right. Uh, Joe Posnanski. Thank you. Uh, he was a fantastic baseball writer who uh, kind of coined that term, the the last Correct. folk hero. So. Uh, another great sports journalist and writer that's worth checking out as well. But your book is obviously yeah. The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Thank you, Jeff, so much for like hanging out and uh, for the work that you do. Uh, whatever the next book is, if it's not Larry Bird or whatever, just let me know. But I'm in. So keep going. Keep writing. All right. Thank you. It's actually going to be a history of pimples. What do you think? Um, I'm going to call it Pimple. The history of pimples. Would you still buy it? Yeah, I think that will get the conversation popping. Ah, good job. Well played. Thank you. Yeah. All right, cool. All, All right, right, cool. Take care. Later, Poppy. All right. Poppy says bye. Thanks a lot, man. Good Thank talking you. to you. 
Yo, that was sports writer Jeff Perlman, and his book is The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Highly recommended reading. I opened this episode playing the Nike Bo Knows commercial. Bo's Nikes were the Nike Air trainers. Fittingly, they were cross trainers, which are designed to support a wide variety of movements and activities. Well, my pal Sammy is like cross trainers for your head, not for your feet. Uh, I might have to rethink that one. Uh, anyways, my Substack newsletter covers a broad variety of pop culture from sports to TV to movies and much more. Recommendations and curation all delivered easily and swiftly right to your inbox. You'll be the Bo Jackson of pop culture. I'm not really sure what that means, but come on, you got to admit that's a really tempting offer, isn't it? The Bo Jackson of popular culture. Sign up right now, mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe for my pal Sammy newsletter. mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe and prepare to be astonished. Thank you for listening to me in the Netflix world. Bo Jackson, yo.